The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey guys, today uh, we are really blessed. So I met Adam Flint um, uh, about a year ago. We actually had the opportunity, I I got to be part of a a mission team that was going over to do some pastoral training with the Acts 29 network that our church is a part of um, in Uganda, and then we flew into Kenya and taught together. And and so I met Adam there, and we just have been been friends ever since. Adam brought me with him up to speak at a exponential conference in Boise some time ago, and we've just got to spend some time together. Um, And Adam is part of the Church of 1122. I'll let him explain that name to you. It's hilarious. But uh, Church of 1122 is an Acts 29 church in Jacksonville, Florida, and it's crazy what the Lord is doing over there. Um, That church is officially only about seven years old, and it's already up to like 15,000 people at this church in Jacksonville, Florida. It's just crazy the things that the Lord is doing. And so as Adam and I have had a friendship, he's been a huge source of support to us and to this church in ways that you don't even know about. And, and uh, we both share a hobby, and that's fly fishing. And Adam has never been able to catch a steelhead on the fly rod before. So I was like, I know how to tempt Adam out of Jacksonville, Florida then. And uh, we were successful, by the way. Can you put this up? This was Adam just yesterday, if we can brag on our boy. Yeah. Yeah. Florida came strong yesterday on the Rogue River, did it not? So, uh, yeah, so man, it has just been an, a huge gift. This is one of the kindest men that I know and has really in some ways taken us and me and our church under their wing and, and just been a source of support. And Adam's here. He's going to teach just continuing on through our Acts series, even in Acts chapter 5. So can you guys give a warm welcome to my good friend, Adam Flint? Thanks, man. Did you guys like how I had about 18 layers of clothes on yesterday, though? I mean, it was like balmy for you, and this is as cold as it gets for a Florida boy. I called home this morning, and everybody FaceTimed. Everybody's in flip-flops and T-shirts and everything else. And uh, so, yeah, the name of our church is the worst church name ever, honestly, uh, we started as a service in another church, and the only time available was 11.30. We needed a couple extra minutes. We negotiated to 11.22 a.m. start time. We have 11.22. There it is. So don't go look up 11.22 Bible verses or anything like that. It's, a- it's actually not good at all, so just stay away from them. Um, so it-, it is great. It's fun to be here. I love your pastor, and... Uh, we've had a great time, and it's not only that I couldn't catch a steelhead on a fly, I've never even tried before, so that was just my first fish. So, um, you know, not that I'm bragging or anything, we'll talk about jealousy in a little bit, but um, yeah, great start, that's absolutely true. But I, I love getting to be here. I love that you all are preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, we did that when we planted our church in Jacksonville, we preached through the book of Acts, and uh, the church that we planted is right now preaching through the book of Acts. I love that the church that you're planting is preaching through the book of Acts. And as I was listening to the messages back at the beginning of this series, I guess we're about six or seven messages in now at this point. I love what Jeff said. This, he said this one thing and it just stuck me. He said, I want to see a move at Heritage that is only explainable by the Spirit of God. And when I heard that, I thought, that's it. That's what I want. Me too. I want that. Like, I want something to happen in my life 
that is on, the only plausible explanation in my life is that God did something. Like, I, I want people to go, yeah, that must have been God because I know Adam, he's not that smart, he's not that good, he's not that talented, that had to be the Spirit of God. And I, that's what I want, and don't you want that too? I mean, don't you want for your life, for this church, for your family, for your kids, whatever it is in your, in your career, wherever it is, for, for you to look back and to be able to say, you know what, the only way that was possible, what, was, what happened was so absolutely stunning, the only explanation for that is that the Spirit of God showed up. But I don't, I don't just want to passively see God move. I want to actively be a part of God doing something. That, that I want to see and be a part of following the Spirit of God. That I want God to drive my decisions and my choices and my conversations. That I want God to be in every part of my life. I don't want to live a life where my emotions drive me. Emotions are a gift from God, but I don't want to be ruled by those things. I don't want my life to be driven just merely by comfort or circumstances or situations in my life. Honestly, that's ordinary. That's the way everybody lives. We live in a time that, that really is, the culture is so driven by what, what's happening next or what feels good. And then we just sort of bump along and interpret that as what we should do. But I don't want to live that way. I want to live in such a way that my life is directed by the Spirit of God. And I think you do too. And for that to happen, for that to happen, we, if we want to see and follow a genuine move of God, then we have to be able to faithfully discern and follow the leading of the Spirit of God. That if we want to see and be a part of a move of God, then we have to be able to discern and faithfully follow after the Spirit of God. And that's what's going on in the book of Acts. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, there's a red thread that sort of runs through the entire thing in the book. And that is that the apostles and everybody that calls themselves followers of Jesus are trying to go, okay, where is the Spirit of God moving? Where is God at work? What is God going to do next? And how do I kind of get in line and follow after that? So if you look back through the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit actually comes. God delivers on his promise. It's the day of Pentecost. And then Peter stands up, he preaches this message, and uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and the apostles run into this guy who hadn't been able to walk his entire life. He's in the is even his 40s. They look at him, they go, listen, we don't have any money, man, but here's what we can do for you. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, get up. And the guy walks. And then Peter preaches again and thousands more. Luke records that at this point now there's about 5,000 men, which means, who knows, there's 15,000, 20,000 people total who have become followers in Jesus at this point. Every single one of these times, everything that's going on is, 
here comes the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit works, and the Holy Spirit moves, and the Holy Spirit saves, and the Holy Spirit delivers. And so the way you can read the book of Acts is that it really is training and teaching us how to follow after the Spirit of God. Because think about this. These guys had had Jesus with them for years. Haven't you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, it would just be easier if Jesus showed up right now and told me what to do. Wouldn't it? And they had Jesus with them to tell them what to do. And then Jesus said, you know what? It's better that I go. (laughs) To which I think, really? Really, Jesus? It's really better that you go. And he goes, yeah, it's better that I go and give you my spirit. And that they had had Jesus with them. And now they're trying to figure out how do we follow after Jesus when Jesus isn't with us? And that's the spot we find ourselves, isn't it? We're asking, how do I follow after Jesus when I don't have Jesus physically in front of me to follow after? And the way we follow after Jesus is we discern and we follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 5 and you're going to see the way the disciples, apostles navigate this and um, Jeff gave me about 30 verses to preach on and he said preach it in about 40 minutes. So you're going to have to listen fast. Um, And that's going to be, you talked about preachers going long, so today we might just fulfill your wish, Jeff. So, in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly, I think that's incredible, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. Now the rest, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some. This is like TV preachers are trying to make this stuff up, and this is happening for real. It says, then the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick And those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Listen, this Jesus movement thing is booming. It's booming. Look at, I mean, signs and wonders, miracles are regularly happening. Multitudes, the word is literally a plethora of people. Like, we can't even count how many people are coming to faith in Jesus Physically sick people are being healed. Spiritually afflicted people are being set free. It's going really, really well. The Spirit is doing an amazing thing right here. And you would think that everybody would see all of that going on. And they would be like, yes, come on, this is great. We're behind this. But then it says in verse 17, but but the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Now, you've you got to remember that. We're going to come back to those guys in a minute. That's important to remember who it is that's not really happy about what's going on here. And they were filled with jealousy. So you've got this, you've got this move of God that is spreading all over the place. It is, it's out of control in the best possible way. And these guys, the religious leaders in town, they look at it and they're filled with jealousy. 
And the question is for me, why are they filled with jealousy? And the reason that I think they're filled with jealousy is because their power and their prestige and their position is all being challenged by what's going on right here. And all of that's being challenged because deep down inside of them, the reason that they're jealous is their pride and their ego is on the line. And they're missing out because of their pride and their ego on the greatest move of God this world has ever seen. And listen, can I just be honest with you? The thing, the thing that causes me most often in my life to miss out on what God is doing in my life is my pride and my ego. It's my pride and my ego. I mean, the Bible says over and over again, not just, not just that God dislikes the proud, he's actually in opposition to the proud. And I don't know about you, the last place I want to be is on the opposing end of God. Like God working against me. But my pride and my ego will do that every single time to me. So they don't just miss out on it. They're actually in opposition to it because of their pride and their ego. And their pride and their ego are feeding their jealousy. It says, so filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and then put them in the public prison. So jealousy is it's actually causing them to take matters into their own hands. They're, they're actually manipulate. Here's God at work. And because of their jealousy, they're trying to grab this thing and control this thing and manipulate this thing so that it works out the way that they think it should work out. And you have to guard against jealousy. Because jealousy Jealousy hurts every single time. You're going to see it. They throw them in prison. And the reason that this jealousy is in there is because when they look, they compare themselves to the apostles. And so the jealousy is being driven by this sense of comparison they got down in them. And comparison will kill every single time. It'll kill your joy, it'll kill your purpose. It'll kill relationships. And so you see in them, they've got pride that's feeding comparison. The comparison is feeding jealousy. The jealousy is feeding into them, missing out on this amazing work that God has in front of them. And here's the thing about jealousy that's really, really dark. Is that jealousy is really you and I looking at God and saying, God, you got it wrong. Because when I'm jealous, when I compare myself to somebody else and I get jealous of what somebody else has and I think I should have that thing, what I'm saying to God is, God, what you gave them and what you didn't give me, I think I should have that thing. You got it wrong. And so jealousy isn't just this thing between us and other people. It's actually a spiritual problem that we've got. That we think we know what's better for our lives than what God has given and provided or not given and provided at any moment in our life. So it says in verse 19, but during the night, the angel, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, listen, this, this is Bible humor right here, okay? Like this is God irony right here. Because the Sadducees that are in control, 
The Sadducees didn't believe in miracles, they don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see, right? There you go. (laughs) Stupid, but you'll remember it forever right now. And so, listen, this is so funny because they throw them into prison because they're preaching the resurrection. And what does God do? God busts them out miraculously using an angel. So he busts them out, and then he said, the angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, and they begin to teach. So listen, God, God busts them out of jail, and then tells them to go back and start doing the very thing that got them in jail in the first place. And this isn't actually Peter's first time in jail in the last month. He's been in and out of prison a couple times for this exact same thing already. And it's not going to be his last time. And so God, though, doesn't just bust them out of prison so that they can run for their own freedom and run for their own comfort. That God doesn't set us free. Listen to this. God doesn't set us free for our pleasure but for his purposes. God doesn't set us free just for our own comfort, but for his calling. That's why that he has set them free in the middle of this. So a few weeks ago, Kristen and I were um, on a trip. We were in Slovenia. You can look up where that is. I didn't know where it was before we went on the trip either. But we're driving through Slovenia. We're actually, we're about from here to the wall over there. We're like 50 feet from the Italian border, and I get pulled over. I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't speak the same language. I don't know what's going on. Somehow we figure out I don't have a little sticker that lets me drive on the road. And I'm trying to tell this guy that, listen, it's a rental car. It should have the sticker. They make me get out of the car. They give me a little talking to. They put me back in the car. They go off and do something. They come back. I start trying to explain again. And Kristen is like, would you shut up? You're going to go to jail in Slovenia. She's like, I don't know how to drive in this country. She said, quit doing the same thing that got you in trouble. Just be quiet, go on, we'll make it 50 more feet, everything will be great. And don't you, I mean, you look at Peter and you're just like, Peter, just be quiet, man. Look, God busted you out of prison, you're free. And prison was not nice then. You're free, and Peter's going, no, no, the reason I'm out of prison is not for my pleasure and not for my comfort. It is for the purposes and the calling of God. And so they go back in, and they start preaching. And look at what they preach. I love this. God says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And in my Bible, it's capital L. Now, there's not really grammar in Greek, but I think they got it right here. It's a capital L. What they're preaching, the the, this life is the gospel. That's what this life is. This life is the life of Jesus. Every time they stand up and preach, they're like, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you about how he lived a perfect sinless life. Let me tell you about how he didn't deserve to die. 
Let me tell you about how on the cross he stood there and shouldered the weight of the sin of the world. And let me tell you about how he conquered death and was resurrected. Let me tell you about this life. Let me tell you about Jesus. The gospel is always about Jesus. It's always about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's about this life. And it's not just about the life of Jesus. It's about the life you and I can have in Jesus. That's what this life is. Jesus in John 10.10 says, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. This life that Jesus wants for you. It's not cash and Cadillacs and candy prizes. That's not what full life is. He came that you might experience this full spectrum life in him. You might live and walk in a life that's like him. And so Jesus comes. The gospel is the life of Jesus. And the gospel is the life that you and I can have in Jesus. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's life. Our problem is. Our problem is not that we're bad. Our problem is not that we're mistakers. What we don't need is some tips and tricks to live a better life and be a better version of ourselves. Our problem is that sin has made us dead. And the gospel just doesn't say, hey, I'll make you a better version of a dead person. The gospel says, I will take a dead person and I will make them alive again. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the words of this life, the life of Jesus and the life that you and I can have in Jesus. Verse 21, now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they didn't find him in the prison, so they returned and they reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, which makes me just think, what are the guards doing if they didn't notice all this went down, but whatever. But when we opened the door, we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. I would say so. They don't believe in miracles. So it says, and someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Listen, they're just driven by fear. Do you see what's going on? There's pride and there's ego that's feeding comparison, that's, competing, that's feeding jealousy, and that jealousy is causing them to hurt people, and that jealousy is causing them to act in ways where they are doing things more out of fear of what other people will think of them than what they believe is right in the eyes of God. Listen, it's not just them. It's not. It's us. We do it all the time. We, we operate so much in our life out of what people think. Listen, I can do it right now, like right this second. 
Honestly, I can care right now more about what you think about me as I stand here and preach than I actually do about what God, I'm tempted to do that. I'm tempted to live in the fear of man more than the fear of God. We did this thing at our church a couple, uh, couple Lent seasons ago. If you know what Lent is, that's the time that kind of leads up to Easter. And a couple years ago, to kick that season off, we did 24 hours of preaching, like in a row, 24 hours of preaching, just back to back to back to back, preacher after preacher after preacher, just rotating through for 24 hours straight. Now, here's what you're thinking, which is what everybody asks me, why in the world would you do that? And the, the question always is, who was there at three in the morning? To which I was like, I wasn't there at three in the morning. I was at home asleep. I was there at 5 p.m. I had the great time slot. Like, I ended it. And everybody's like, I was like, I don't know. There was probably four or five people there at two in the morning. They're like, well, why did you do it then? And what the question reveals, what they're really saying is, is it worth preaching if nobody shows up? That isn't preaching really just all for and all about the people that will listen to it? And what we said was, what if, it, what if it's not primarily about that? What if it's not primarily about what everybody thinks about how great it is? What if preaching is really about what God thinks? What if we just thought God was pleased at the proclamation of his gospel, no matter who listened to it? And it was a gut check for us. But we are so, we can be so driven by our fears. And honestly, the fear of man, it really is the thing that will cloud my discernment of where God is leading and where the Spirit is working. That when I fix my eyes on other people and what other people think and what they think I should do and shouldn't do, I can get off of God so easily because I start following what they think instead of what God thinks. So in verse 27 it says, And then they had them brought in. They set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, 28, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Now look, they can't even say the name of Jesus. Because they know there's a lot of power in that name. Like death-defeating power in that name. They just, they won't even say it. Yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. To which I think Peter goes, I don't really want his blood on your hands. I want his blood to cover your life. That's what I want. Listen, they, they, they look at him and they go, we've thrown you in jail twice. Every time we throw you in jail, you just get out and start doing the very thing that got you in jail in the first place. Honestly, how frustrating it must it have been for these guys. Like, every time we try to shut it down, you just go right back to doing the thing. You aren't, what do you do with somebody? What do you do with somebody that is so bent, determined to do what God has them to do? It's like they've got blinders on. They're like, just get out of my way. I don't care. I mean, the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you do with a guy like that? Kill me? Fine, I'll go be with Jesus. Live? Throw me in jail? Fine, I'll preach. We'll sing some hymns. We'll have church service. It'll be great. People come to faith. What do you do with a person like that? But that's what these guys are. That's what these guys are doing. 
But the question that rises up inside of me is, what keeps those apostles with their eyes fixed on Jesus? What is it that causes them to be so laser focused that you can throw them in jail, you can beat them, you can ship, you'll see it time and time and time again in the rest of the book of Acts. What keeps them so determined on doing what Jesus told them to do? It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Why, Peter? Why must you obey God? Like, what's driving their unwavering obedience? What's causing them to be so committed, so relentlessly determined and committed to this thing? Why, Peter, why must you obey? Why won't you bend? Why won't you just give? Why won't you just kind of let a few things slide over here? Why, why, Peter? Why must you obey? And look at Peter's answer. I love this. Peter says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. (laughs) It's a super seeker-sensitive message, right? God exalted him at his right hand, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses to these things. And so it is, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The reason that Peter must obey is the gospel. Listen, it, it, following God because God says so, doing something because God says so, or not doing something because God says don't do that, that's great. You should do that. As a parent, listen, if I tell my kids to do something, I want them to do it. If I tell them don't do that, I don't want them to do it. But there is a deeper reason in their soul that I want them to do something, right? Just because I told you so is really not a good enough reason. I don't really want that. I don't want blind obedience out of my kids. I want something deep in their soul that says, I want to honor my dad. I want to do what my dad asked me to do. And look, here's what Peter's deeper reason is. The reason that he must obey God is he says, listen, the God of our fathers. Because God has made a promise. God has had a plan from all eternity The reason I have to obey God is because God's had an eternal plan. And God's plan is that Jesus, who you killed, who you killed, Jesus, this guy that lived a perfect life, a sinless life, the life that you and I should have lived but you and I couldn't live, this Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, Yes, those guys, those guys convicted him. Those guys wrongly hung him. They did kill him. But listen, I did it too. Every sin I have ever committed, I'm just as guilty as to nailing Jesus to that cross as those guys were. And Jesus died in our place for our sin. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And God planned that and God purposed that. And it was not a reaction. That was God's eternal plan to send his son 
to be the atoning death for our sins. And then he says, God raised him from the dead. It's not just that he died, but that God resurrected Jesus. The reason I have to follow Jesus is because he died for me. And then God resurrected him. He's alive. That's why I have to do that. And not only did he die, and not only was he resurrected, but he is now ascended and is at the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling and reigning over all of the universe. That's, that's why I have to follow him. And I have to follow him because God's exalted him. I have to follow him because he's offered repentance. Like He's offered a new life to me. He's offered a way for my life to go from this to this. He's offered a total change, a whole new life. He's offered a life of repentance. And he's offering forgiveness. He's offering a right relationship with God. I have to follow him because he's not just a good guy. He's my savior. He saved me. He gave me a new life. That's why I have to follow him. And because he's my savior and because he's been resurrected from the dead, look at what he says. He's not just my savior, but he's my leader. Right? The first time I read this passage as I was getting ready this week for it, I just sort of glossed right over it. And I read, Lord and Savior. And then I went, well, well hold on, wait a second. It says leader and savior, and it just rung a whole new bell with me. Like, I do believe Jesus is my Lord, but there's just something when Luke uses that word, he says, he's your leader. Like, he's not just the savior that's somehow going to get you an eternal ticket into heaven. That's great. I'm all for that. But Jesus is present right here, right now. The resurrected Jesus, by the spirit of the resurrected Jesus, is present, leading right now. Peter says, that's why I have to follow. The gospel is the greatest motivation for obedience in our lives. When they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But Peter in the council, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he says to them, so he's going to give them a little bit of history right here. He says to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. He said, listen, what you're about to do, you need to be real sure that this is what God wants you to do. You seem to be operating in fear of what everybody else wants you to do. You seem to be operating in jealousy. You seem to be operating in pride. You need to be sure this is what God is asking you to do. He says, for before these days, Thutis, there's a baby name for you, Right? Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, just keep away from these men and let them alone. Now here it is. Here, if, you got, if you have a Bible in your hand, this is where you want to underline. He says, let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of a man, it'll fail. It'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
And so they took his advice. Gamaliel looks at him and he goes, listen, you're, I, if you're trying to do what God is leading you to do, let me give you some advice on how you might know if it's God leading you to do this thing. Now here, listen, I believe the word of God is true, okay? I really do. I believe it's inspired all of it, cover to cover, the whole thing, right? Genuine leather, I believe it, okay? Gamaliel's advice, honestly, is not that helpful when you're in the middle of a decision. What Gamaliel's saying is, let's just see how it plays out, right? We'll see at the end if it's of God or not. That works if you've got time to wait to see how it plays out. The trouble is most of the time we're in the middle of a decision or in the middle of something and we're going, does God want me to do this or does God want me to do this? I can't wait. I have to make a decision. And so how do you do that? So about seven years ago, this question just burned inside of me. As we were planting a church, as I was pastoring, as I was dealing with people in our congregation that were trying to figure out what God wanted them to do in their families and their careers and all this, and this, this thing kind of kept coming up, and I kept hearing people say some version of like, well, God told me to do blank, or I feel like the Spirit is leading me to do blank, and, and in my, as a pastor, I was like, yes, I love that. I want you to follow after the Spirit. I want you to do what God is, wants you to do, but how do you know? Like, that's a big, bold claim to make. God told me? Like, that's a big claim. And so I ended up going back to school. I actually ended up doing my doctoral work on this question. How do you know when the Spirit is leading you? And so it's not foolproof, but let me just give you, I want to give you six questions that I think are helpful that you can ask in the middle of that situation. And I made it real simple. It just follows the letters G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel, right? It's just, I just made that up. It's, so just go with me. Here's the first thing. Whose glory is this really about? When you're facing a decision, is it about your glory or about God's glory? Because there is nothing greater and nothing higher than the glory of God, and God will always pursue the highest good, which is his glory. And so if you're pursuing something for your glory first, the Spirit's not leading you there. The Spirit will always lead you to the glory of God, to live for the glory of God. The second one is, what do other Christians see? And you see the apostles living for the glory of God, don't you? They're like, whatever, throw me in jail, my reputation, I don't care as long as God's famous. Oh, what do other Christians who love Jesus, who know you, who love you, say about this upcoming decision in your life? Most of us, what happens is we just tell other people what we've already decided and we just kind of want them to go, yeah, that sounds good. But what do other people who love Jesus, who know Jesus, who know you and who love you have to say about an upcoming decision? And what that requires is that we would humble ourselves and go and say, okay, listen, I'm facing a choice. What do you think I should do in this? You know me. You know the gospel. You know, you know the dirt about me. What do you say I should do about this? S, what does scripture say about it? Listen, if the scripture says do it, do it. If the scripture says don't do it, don't do it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to discern it. God did it already for you. He just said, don't murder, okay? Don't do that. You don't have to pray about it. Don't do it. 
Lie? Nope, you don't have to pray about whether you should lie in a certain situation. Don't do it. Love your neighbor? Do that. You don't have to pray about it. P, prayer. Like how, and I don't just mean like, hey God, what should I do about this? All right, I prayed about it. I mean like abide with Jesus. Jesus tells these parables like of people that are banging on the door and won't leave the judge alone. And he says, listen, if a judge will come around and give this woman what she wants, how much more will your heavenly father do that for you? That we would abide with God, that we would pray with God, that we would stick close to God, that we would just, we would be so close to Jesus that we would just, that just, yeah, that smells right. That smells like him. I'll do that. And that we would pray about it. And you see the apostles over and over and over again, praying and praying and praying and praying and bathing everything they do in prayer. The E is evangelism. You see them do it here. The reason they know it's the Spirit of God is because Jesus said, go make disciples. <laughs> go tell people. Go live out the gospel, the good news of this life in front of everybody else. The reason they know it's the Spirit of God is because God's telling them, go make disciples. Go tell them the gospel. Go tell them about this life. If it leads you to where you can leverage whatever you're going to do, if it's leading you to share the gospel Chances are that's the Spirit of God leading you there. And then lastly, L. What kind of lifestyle is this going to cause me to live? Is it going to cause me to live out the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like the fruit that the Spirit produces and the direction that the Spirit leads will always go hand in hand. The Spirit will never lead you in a direction that causes you to live in a way that does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. If you're saying, hey, for me to go this direction, I'm going to have to act in anger or revenge. Well, the fruit that God produces is peace and love and joy. So here's the question I've got for you today. Where in your life do you need to obey God? Not just out of a like God said so, but where is it in your life that you need to persevere? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in a friendship. Maybe it's financial. Where do you need to keep doing the thing that God has told you to do and put in front of you? And where do you need to persevere? Not just because he said so, but because of the gospel. Because God had a plan. Because God sent his son. Because Jesus died for you, was resurrected to new and everlasting life. And Jesus has been exalted. And Jesus is your savior. And Jesus is your leader. Where do you need to persevere because your heart is just captivated by the gospel more than the circumstances? Where do you need to repent? Where in your life do you see pride, ego, comparison, jealousy, fear of what other people think of you, pulling you away from where God is leading you? And where do you need to accept the repentance that Jesus offers?
in the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And where do you need to discern? I mean, maybe for, maybe for some of you, you, just, you need to memorize those six questions. And maybe you're, maybe you're facing a decision and you're getting pulled by circumstances or you're getting pulled by feelings or you're getting pulled by emotion or you're getting pulled by any number of things. And where is it in your life that you need to kind of lock on to God and go, all right, God, I need to just stop and figure out what are you asking me to do in this? Where do you need to discern? And then finally, maybe there's some of you in this room and what it means for you to go after what God has for you is that you would take the first step of faith and believe today. That, that maybe you would surrender your ego, you would surrender your pride, and you would go, God, if this is true, if it's true that you had a plan for all eternity for my life, that, that sending Jesus was not just a nice thing, a reaction to something, but you actually purposed and planned for Jesus to come. And that he would live a perfect life and die the death that you and I deserve. That he would die on the tree. That when he hung on that tree and he said, it is finished, that you would believe that somehow that counted for you. That your sin is finished. That your separation from God is finished. And that Jesus' resurrection is just like first fruits. It's just the beginning of this thing that God wants to do in you. That he wants to not just make you a better version of the old broken you, but he wants to give you life and life to the fullest. And maybe today for the first time you would go, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I think the Spirit's leading me to say, I believe that's true. And that Jesus would become your savior and your leader today. And so would you pray with me right now? And if for the first time, if you've never believed the gospel before, if you've never believed that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is true, you never believe that it counts for you but today for some reason you believe that to be true and the spirit's leading you as we pray right now would you just raise your hand can i pray for you raise them up don't worry about what anybody thinks what anybody cares who cares heavenly father thank you thank you for the good news of the gospel of your son jesus christ lord thank you that you left us not by ourselves, to our own devices, to our own wisdom, to our own emotions, to our own heart, but you sent us the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And better the spirit in us, better the spirit in us. Lord, thank you for the life that you breathed into those that came to faith today. Lord, thank you Lord, we honor you, we love you, we rejoice over what you're doing. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Jeff. Lord, I pray for the elders of this church, pastors, the staff, the leaders of this church. Lord, would you pull them in close? Would you cause them to fix their eyes on the spirit of Christ? 
that they would do exactly what you want them to do. Lord, we love you. And we pray now as we sing and we worship that it would be a response, that it would just be our pouring out to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for rescuing us. And thank you that you're leading us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sings after.